Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is evangelist Dr. Greg Lentz. Now go back to Mark chapter number 2. In Mark chapter number 2, I'll give you some other verses uh, as well. But I want you to start in Mark chapter number 2 again. And uh, we'll read a few of these verses. I'm not going to rehash everything. But just to give you an idea of these verses one more time in your hearing. Okay? Mark chapter number uh, 2. Mark chapter number 2. And we'll begin in verse number 1 together. In uh, Mark chapter number 2. Now notice what it says again. Remember, this is the major metropolitan city of the Lord's day, Capernaum. This is where he housed his ministry at, around the Sea of Galilee. Their mode of transportation a lot of times was boats, getting from one port to another the quickest way possible for him to do more ministry. When they come back off of the boat, come to Capernaum, they come to the port of Capernaum, And when they see Jesus get off the boat, notice, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. They begin to spread abroad throughout all of Capernaum. Jesus is back home. He's preaching. He's at such and such house. Come and hear what he has to say. So what should be our responsibility We should be making a noise at the house of God every time we meet together that Jesus is in the house. We ought to be a noisy bunch. We ought to be a crowd that begins to testify of the Lord's presence at the house of God. So they went from village to village, from marketplace to marketplace inside of Capernaum, and they started noising that Jesus was in the house. And when they started doing that, the verse number two says, and straightway many were gathered together. Now, you say, are you a preacher about numbers? Count me in. I much rather preach to full chairs than empty ones. I cannot help that empty chair, but I can help the person if he's sitting or she is sitting on the chair. Can I get amen? So never get the idea when we're trying to put a vision in front of you that that's a wrong motive. No, it's a right motive. We can do more as numbers grow than we can by numbers shrinking. I've always understood that. I'm little. I'm small. I'm insignificant. But if I can get me a bunch around me that has the same mindset, then we can do more together than I can do myself. Can I get amen? So here, straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them uh, about the door. Now notice what he did. And when they got in the house, why should we want a full house? He preached the word unto them. Why should you want your friend here? He preached the word unto them. Why should you want your loved one here? He preached the word unto them. 
So the whole synopsis, the whole philosophy behind this is so people can hear the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every time that we come together, it would be wonderful, it would be great, it would be an opportunity, and it's laid on us as a responsibility. Lord, help me to do my part to reach people where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now verse three, here comes the four men again. And notice what happens. There in the service, I believe, according to Scripture, these four men were present, and they got a vision and a burden. There's been times, spiritually, where I've been in services where I've got so burdened over somebody. I've left the service. I went to the house of that individual, and I went to witness to them and to bring them back to the house of God. It's getting out of our comfort zone. And when these four men were at this service where Jesus was preaching, they got a burden, they got a vision, they got a desire, they got a hunger, they got a thirst. They left the house where Jesus was preaching. They went down the street and they knew that their friend was sick of the palsy, which means he's hopeless, helpless. He has a condition that he cannot help himself. And there was no way that man could ever get to Jesus unless someone went and got him and brought him to where Jesus was. Now think of that. You've got a one, it may be a family member, it may be a friend, it may be somebody that's never been in church before or it may be somebody that's darkened or that's been inside of the house of God week after week after week but they've never trusted Christ. Whoever that one is, they must come to the reality and you must come to the reality that I've got to go get them to get them around the preaching of the word of God and around the things of the Lord. And so here, those four men went. They went down the road. They went to the house where this gentleman was at and they went inside and they picked up his bed and they carried him back to the house where Jesus was. The house is filled to capacity. Everybody's there. And, and there's no way that they can get him through the door or through the window of that house. And so those houses were built with flat pitched roofs on them and they had stairwells that went to the outside of the house that went to the top. And so these four men carried that man on that stretcher up the side of that uh, house on that stairwell, put him down, broke a hole inside of that house large enough and let that man down where he could get in front of Jesus. Now, every one of us must see what it takes to get men and women to Jesus. Number one, we've got to learn how to pray for them. And the best way that I can pray for them is have that card of reminder in front of me every day that I say, Lord, not only will you touch their heart, but would you touch my heart for them? Give me that burden. Give me that brokenness. 
Give me tears. That's why the scripture said in Proverbs, he that goeth forth in weeping barren precious seed shall doubtless come again with what? Rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with him. What is that? That's a spiritual thought process. I'm catching the vision. I'm catching that burden. I'm desiring God every day as I pray for my one, would you help me to get a greater burden and a greater desire to see them changed by the grace of God? Okay, so now I want you to get that blank card out and I want you to wave it again. All right, Lord, give me that one. Give me the vision of that one. God, give me the desire to reach that one. And Lord, help me every day to pray for that one. It takes prayer. Not only must there be prayer involved in reaching these individuals, there must be persistence involved. That's the reason that these four men went to the trouble they went through. They persistently carried him. They went through the agony of breaking the roof open. They went through the agony of letting him down by hand to where Jesus was. And there they persistently did their part to reach their friend and get him in front of the Son of God. Don't you think that the Lord is touched by your burden and your desire that if I'm persistent enough that I get the vision and the burden and the desire and God breaks my heart over my one, that if I persuade them and if I persistently go after them and if I get them here, don't you think the Lord's big enough to touch their heart and to get a hold of them and them be transformed by the power of God? Persistence, it takes it. A lot of times just a phone call's not enough. A lot of times just going through and, and writing them on Facebook or messaging them is not enough. It takes persistence. Whatever means it is possible for me to try to reach them, that's what I've got to be willing to do if I want to see my one transformed by the power of God. Everybody with me so far? So it takes what? Prayer? And then it takes persistence. But then there's got to be persuasion involved. We've got to be persuasive. Uh, Paul was that way in Acts 26. When Paul stood before Agrippa, and Agrippa said, what do you got to say for yourself? In verse number two of chapter 26, he looked at Agrippa and said, I think myself happy. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm gonna stand before this whole amphitheater, all of these people, and he begins to tell the story of what happened to him on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter number eight and nine. He begins to tell him what Jesus did for him. He was persuasive because even Agrippa in the latter part of that chapter said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me, the king, to be a Christian. How persuasive are you? Are you the type of individual that is not willing to give up on that one? I'll give you a quick illustration. Every meeting 
by the help of the Lord that God begins to move in that the Lord allows me the privilege to preach in and, and God begins to move in, I ask the Lord, show me one person in this community that I could focus on during this meeting and let's pray and seek the Lord on their behalf that they'd be saved. Now, there may be numerous people saved in that meeting, but God focused my attention on one individual, one person. And, and Lord, let me come across their path. Let me meet them. Either the pastor introduces me to them or, or I get to meet them. We were up in Virginia preaching. And there was a man, I've told this story here, but I'll just re-illustrate it very quickly. There was a man there by the name of Pete Barber. He was a chicken fighter, had 400 game fighting chickens. And he looked like Charles Manson. He had dreadlocks down on his beard and he had dreadlocks down on his hind end where, uh, where his hair was that long. And no preacher in that area wanted anything to do with him because he was mean as a snake. I mean, he'd just soon shoot you, cut you, do whatever, mean, 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 mountain mean, all right? I got to preaching one night in that service and I said, I said, we need to pray for the roughest man in this community to get saved during this meeting. And the preacher said, well, I'll take you to him tomorrow. <laughs> and Lord willing, he picked me up at the hotel and he took me to his house. 18 years before this meeting, he met him in a barroom brawl where he had been stabbed and shot and was in the hospital and they called this pastor to come basically this pay your dying respects to this man because he was going to die. 18 years prior to this meeting, that's how this pastor got familiar with this man, Pete Barber. For 18 years, him and another man in that community carried a burden for Pete Barber. That was their one. Carried a burden for him. He was a drinker, a gambler, a mean man, as I said, fought chickens. We went to his house that night. I'm short, I'm little, and I don't like to fight. I would lose and so we get to the house where this man is. He's sitting at his kitchen table. He just got off of work with another gentleman that's sitting there. Both of them have a Budweiser beer sitting on the table. Did you know the Holy Ghost wasn't bothered by that? He went right to that same table. He just pushed that out of the way and said, I'm coming to sit down with you a minute. And we got to talking, small talk, and I said, fellas, whatever you do, I said, we're having service down here at the church and we just want to come by and let you know we're praying for you. And do you mind right now if I take a moment and let's pray? Both of those two lost men, I don't care what you do, do whatever you want to do. I got right in the middle of both of those men and, and their Budweiser beer, got right in the middle of them. And I put one hand on one shoulder, one hand on the other shoulder. And all I can explain to you is it was like liquid love from God started coming over me and over that table because I started to realize that would have been me. That would have been my circumstance. That would have been my situation if I had not met Jesus. 
And, and I started thinking about, oh God, if you save me, you could save them. And if you touch me, you could touch them. And Lord, if, if you worked in my heart, you could work in theirs. And I just started thanking God and started praying and started asking God, touch these men. And as I started praying, you could feel God just come in that house where those lost men was at. You said, I don't believe that. Well, I'll take you to his house this very night. He's crazy for Jesus now. We got up. I started walking out the door. And Brother Larry, I knew he was mean. I knew he, he didn't like nobody. And I said, I'm little. I'm small. I don't like to fight. And surely this man, I don't have a clue what he's about to do to me. But I get up and he starts following me and I get a little nervous. I'm going to the door, the pastor's with me. We go to the door and we said, hey, we gotta go to church, they're waiting on us. And he said, preacher, do you have to leave so soon? And I knew God, the Holy Spirit just hooked him and just started working on his heart and his life in such a magnitude that he couldn't get away from it. I said, Pete, I said, we gotta go back to church. They're waiting on me to get there. I said, but I'll make you a vow and a promise. We're going back tonight and we're gonna do nothing but pray for you, our one. Went back to service that night. We didn't open with amazing grace. We didn't have the choir sing. For over two and a half hours, we laid on the carpet of that church building and prayed over him and all of those lost people that people had been claiming as their one. Sunday morning, I preached all of that week. It was other people saved. Sunday morning, guess who shows up in church for the first time in his life? Pete Barber. It was the Daytona week of racing. It was the first race of the year. It was in February. Pete Barber shows up. He lasts about halfway through the service and he jumps up and he goes out the back door. You say, that's bad. No, God's working on him. Those two men for 18 years that had prayed for him went to his house that Sunday afternoon. Pete Barber's sitting there on his living room couch and he's watching the race and no doubt he's got money on the race. The preacher and that other man knocks on the door and Pete looks at him and he says, I don't know what's going on on the inside, but all I know is like two coon dogs has got me treed in this tree and I can't get loose. Would you please tell me what's going on? He was under conviction. And there beside of his couch, he turned the TV off, and beside of his couch, he knelt down that Sunday afternoon and asked King Jesus to come and change his heart and his life. And he was transformed by the power of a living God. They picked up the phone and they called me and they said, he just got in. I did not have to ask who it was. 
I did not have to ask where they were calling from. I knew what had just happened. A transaction from another world had just transacted in the life of Pete Barber. And he was transformed by the power of a living God. The preacher said, would you come up next week and Jill packed my clothes and I left that Sunday night and I went back up the mountain and I was there Monday. Guess where I went for the first thing? I went Monday afternoon. I went to Pete Barber's house. I knocked on the door. I tooted the horn and I could not find him nowhere. The last time I saw him, he had dreadlocks down to here, dreadlocks down to here. But this time, let me get my Bible. He comes out of the woods from the neighbor's house and he's carrying his big coffee table Bible and he's coming out and he's done been to the barber shop and I didn't even recognize him. I didn't tell him to do none of that stuff. He comes out of the woods and he said, hey preacher, did you hear Jesus save me and change my life and I just wanted to go tell my neighbors what Jesus did for me. Every morning at the motel, he called me at seven o'clock. I'm an evangelist, I like to sleep. Every morning he called me, preacher, I wanna let you know I'm still saved. Clink, hang up the phone. I'm going to work. The man did not sleep none. The first two weeks he got saved. He would go one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning knocking on those doors where he'd fought chickens with and where he had gambled with men. Wake them up. He said, hey, it's Pete Barber. They thought he was just coming as a drunk man like he always had before. But this time he's coming with that big coffee table Bible and he's knocking on their door and he's telling them, hey, I'm not the same Pete Barber I used to be. I've been redeemed. I've been saved by the grace of God and shook that community up and stirred them people up because they never thought it would have been possible to see him in church and saved. If I'm in town, it's like he's got a radar for my truck. We were just up there a few months ago and I pulled the camper up there. Sure enough, as soon as I got up on the hill, here comes Pete Barber coming out of the woods, coming up to my truck. Hey, preacher, I just want to let you know I'm still here. You're one. Is it worth it? 18 years persuasion, persuasion, persistence. But they believe the promise that God said that if I'll go after them, if I'll pray for them, if I'll carry the burden for them, the Lord will not let that go unheard. So everybody in this building Put a name to it, it's got a Pete. Whether they're that rough or whether they're good moral people, everybody's got a Pete. Every meeting, I've been privileged to see some folks like that 
where there's been an extension of services where God's allowed us to see people like that get saved and lives impacted and changed. I was on the other side of, of Tennessee a couple weeks ago and a guy came up to me and saw me at a restaurant. He said, hey, I got saved in one of your youth meetings and now I'm going, going to the mission field. Or I got saved and now I'm pastoring. Or, or I got saved and, and, and now I'm doing this or that. What I'm trying to say, everybody here has a one. What are we going to do? Are they not worth persuading them? Now let me read a verse in closing. Why is it our responsibility? Why should we be consumed with this thought process of reaching people with the gospel? Ezekiel chapter number 32. Ezekiel's the watchman on the wall. And in chapter number 32 and verse number 7, so thou, O son of man, you can, you can just write this down if you don't want to go to it. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee as a watchman of the house of Israel. Now, here's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to look at the people. He's supposed to witness to the people. He's supposed to show the people the truth of the word of God. And he's supposed to declare to them that God can set them free. That's the watchman. That's his responsibility. So in verse number eight, here's what he's supposed to do. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. That's him witnessing to him. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. What is the word of God saying? Every person in this building that's saved by the grace of God, God has given you a one that you may be the only one that will ever reach them. And if I go to heaven not trying to do my part to reach that one, and to warn them, that word warn means to be a stop sign in front of them. The road's out. The bridge is out. There's danger ahead. There's judgment ahead. Hey, stop, stop. What you're doing? I'm warning them. You get the picture? I'm warning them. And if I don't do that, that wicked man will die in his iniquity. And the scripture says that the judgment, their blood, he'll require at our hand. That's tough. I believe it even goes as far as at the great white throne judgment for the lost, that he will have the church as the jury. And here's the tough part. At the jury Jesus will look in the books and there's going to be moms and dads and mans, uh, men and women and grandmas and grandpas and neighbors and acquaintances 
that's going to say, search the book again. And he's going to say, your name's not written there. And they're going to look at us as the jury. And I really believe they're going to point us out and say, why, if you knew the truth, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you put a stop sign and warn me? If I love my family, warn me. If I love my friends, warn me. If I love those I work beside, warn me. And they're going to point a finger at us and say, why didn't you tell us? And their blood, he will require at our hand. That's why the scripture says, after the great white throne judgment, then he will what? Wipe away every tear from our eyes because there's going to be weeping at that judgment. Huh? We don't hear a lot about that in preaching in, the, in this day, but it's the truth. I believe that's the reason we don't win a lot of people to God is because we don't see the end results of where they're going to spend eternity without the Lord. And so here, Ezekiel says, if I don't warn them, then their blood will I require at thy hand. But the next verse goes on to say, but if I warn them and they refuse and reject and don't heed the warning, then the blood's been lifted from your hands. That same man, that same woman will die in their iniquity. But Jesus says you have done your part to try to be the stop sign over that one. May God challenge us that every person in this building has somebody that is our one. Will you become that stop sign in front of them? Will you become that individual in front of them that says, Lord, let me do my part to reach them? Now, if they reject my persuasion, if they reject my persistence, if they reject mine and your prayers, and if they reject the promises of God, then you have fulfilled your part of the covenant with God. You see where I'm going? You've done your part. So on April the 12th, we've got an opportunity set in front of us to reach our one. Somebody asked me this morning, well, preacher, don't you realize that the building will, since we're combining both services, the building will be full? Well, don't we want it full with our ones? You say, well, where are they going to sit? Some of you may have to stand against the wall. Huh? Some of you may have to give up a seat. Some of you may have to let somebody else, that's your one, sit while you stand and pray. Huh? Would that not be awesome to have that kind of problem at the house of God? Well, if everybody here would get their one, that's what would happen that Sunday morning. It would be just like Mark chapter number two that when they got to the house, there was so many they couldn't enter in 
And wouldn't it be something? Praise God, we get the fire department to lift some ladders on the side of the roof and say on that Sunday morning, we'll stand, we'll sit, we'll stand on top, do whatever we have to do. Oh God, just fill this place up with ones that we can see them transformed by the power of the living God. And here's what I want you to do. We're gonna pray. If God has already shown you that person, whether it be a, a friend or a relative, whether it be someone that you uh, uh, know frequently or someone that you're really burdened over that you want to reach, then number one right now, I want you to write that name down on your card. And then the second one, I want you to write that name down on the little millimeter card, centimeter card. And in just a moment, as we pray, Brother Doug and him will play, and, and as we pray, then I want us to take, and Brother Ken, some of you guys can come up here, and we've got the, the punch pins, all of that, and you can hold those boards, and you can come by, and you can pin that person to that board, and how many would agree with me between now and April the 12th, if God will bring it to your remembrance, Lord, I'm going to pray for every one of my ones and everyone else's one on that board. Okay? How many would this, this wave at me? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Lord, I want you to touch their heart. I want you to touch their life. I want you to touch their family, their home. Whatever the situation, Lord, I want you to touch them. I'm going to believe God. Where two or three would agree together is touching any one thing. Huh? That's the, it's simple. It's the Word of God. Too long we made it too complicated. It's the Word of God. And so we're going to believe God. So here's what I want you to do. Number one, this one goes home with you, whether it be on the mirror in the bathroom or on the, on the uh, refrigerator, wherever. You're going you're gonna to tape that on there, and that's going to be your reminder every day I'm praying. This little one comes over here for the church. This will be something. Every service, the men, the women, everybody, you can just walk by and say, Oh, God, I'm praying for these ones. That's somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's friend. That's somebody's acquaintance. Would you not want them praying for you? Catch the vision, the burden. We're going to pray for them. That's going to be this one that we're going to place over there. So let's stand all over the building. Father, we ask you for the next few minutes... God, would you speak to every person inside of this building tonight, Lord, to write down their one. Show them vividly, clearly, God, who that might be. Lord, I pray that you help them to consistently, persistently, and every day to pray for them. Lord, I pray that you help them to invite them, persuade them, to be here on April the 12th. And Lord, if there's not enough seats, then gladly, Lord, we want the ones to sit on the pews and the chairs. 
And God, we'll fill this place up for the glory of God and ask you to fill this place up with your power and your presence. So when the man of God stands, he can preach the word unto them. And Lord, you would save them and change their life. And we'll give you praise for all that you do. Lord, I pray for the next few moments. Let us act in obedience, God, to the word of God. And Lord, let us come and begin to pray over these people, over these names, over these individuals that are somebody's one in this building. And Lord, make it so real to us God, just as it was to Pete Barber, Lord, that their lives would be transformed by the power of God. And we'll give you praise and glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says, that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror. The guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.